I'm Vince. I'm R2. We're two middle-aged guys from the Midwest with opinions on RPGs. Let's get into it. We're going to ruin your games. Oh. All right, R2, are you are you prepared because this episode is all about preparing for a campaign? You know me, I'm Great at preparing. Absolutely. The 30 seconds we took preparing before I hit record should be more than enough time for us to talk about this subject. Usually is. Yeah. So today we're going to talk about campaign preparation, a nice a nice continuation of sorts from last week's discussion around lore. And specifically we want to focus in on sort of the classic conundrum of railroading versus sandbox, right? And so let's define first the problem statement here. You are going to play a campaign of some role-playing game. I don't care what it is. That campaign could likely fall into the following tautology. It is drawn from, based on, or directly a an existing printed material, right? I.e. there is an adventure book or a campaign book. Or you have written completely a scratch campaign. Now, your Scratch campaign might borrow adventures or hooks or concepts or whatever from movies or films or books you've seen or printed things in, you know, what used to be something like Dungeon Magazine or online articles or other source books. But but the overall story and construction of it is your own, right? Now, in those are broadly the two ways you could end up uh, wanting to run a game. However, either of those could end up being railroad-type situations or sandbox-type situations. Yeah, right. It, it depends on... A lot of times it depends on the perspective of the players and how they're approaching the content that you put forward. Okay. So if you've got, if you've got a, a, a world that is relatively uh, fleshed out and interactable around the players, if you've got a proactive, sort of self-led party they are going to take actions to go out into that world and find interesting things to interact with. Mm-hmm. You can use that to allow them to stumble into the plot that you have designed, uh, but I'll, I'll get more into the the sort of fallacy of designing plot sure. uh, later on, but you've sort of got a choice in how you respond to the, the player dynamic of what they're doing. So if you've got a, a party that's proactive and is going out into this world to, to seek out interesting stuff to do, then you can either make it more of a sandbox experience, break out a map. Uh, one thing that a, a lot of old printed materials would do is, is the, the, the idea of a hex crawl. Yeah, sure. You've got this big map of a small uh, of, of a region that your players are operating in. And in each of these hexes, there's something interesting to find. There's uh, maybe there's a cave of goblins, maybe there's a wizard's tower, there's a, a forest in these hexes that a group of elves lives in. Like this is old school D and D stuff, but it, it still has a lot of impact if done properly. Uh, now, yeah, uh, if you make a, a map of the area that your party is working in and sort of flesh that out with interesting stuff to do, you can take all these disparate pieces and weave them together to point toward a greater story that gradually, as the players explore this area, they they get a better sense of. Or 
uh, if you want to do more of a defined narratively driven adventure you have them rather than going through the the sandbox of exploration you just have them move from interesting point to point and, and give them more direct information on what the next breadcrumb is along the trail yeah, I think of the old discussion between, because obviously I'm a longtime fan of, you know, MMOs online, or that's, that's redundant, but of, you know, online RPGs and such. And there's a lot of hay made, especially in the early days of MMOs, of sandbox MMOs versus uh, roller coaster MMOs. Yeah. Okay. Like you, you're playing World of Warcraft, you go to the Barons, you do all the Barons quests. Yeah. And then the, the quest giver and the Baron says, well, you've, you've cleared us out, adventure. Head to the next region that you should now be level appropriate for. Yep. That's the sort of amusement park, you know, experience, right? You have ridden, you have now ridden the Baron's ride. Now proceed on to, uh, I don't know. Shore something. They probably were named Shores. Blight Shore. That's probably a thing. Who knows? I don't remember. Desolus. I, I do no, not remember. Don't go to Desolus. Yeah, I don't remember. <laughs> I, I don't remember... World of Warcraft locations. Um, anyways, versus something like a sandbox. So think of like early UO or, you know, there's been there's been a few other games. This is certainly the less popular one where the, the what the player did or the point of the thing, you know, what you sort of passed your time with was almost a completely emergent property yeah. of what you happen to find compelling in the world. Like the world was big and populated and full of stuff. I don't know. Go figure it out. Right? Like... You're alive. You're you're a, you're a thing within this world. Go places. Do stuff. Make mistakes. Learn things. Right. Yeah. Have fun. That sort of sandbox uh, approach, where you just put the tools out in front of the players and say, "All right, well, what are you what are you doing? What are you doing with this world that is before you?" That works if you have a table full of proactive people who are interested in digging into things and seeking out after interesting stuff. But if you've got a, a group of players at the table who sit down and like, all right, DM, entertain us, that's not that's not necessarily a bad impulse. Uh, it's just that they are more passively oriented. They, they might not have time uh, or energy to devote to more active uh, types of play. They, they like We all lead busy lives. They may just have the, the amount of investment needed to show up, roll some dice, and respond to what you're putting in front of them. Yep. Especially newer players uh, will probably get in that, that sort of a setting. Not always, but that, that, I suppose, tends to be a thing. I think also the nature of a lot of adventure design, especially in recent supplements from things like Pathfinder and D&D, and have led more to this concept of like having this one overarching plot has to kind of be the thing throughout the entire campaign, you know? All of these printed campaigns, they're like, well, this is the campaign that will take you from like 1 to 15 or whatever, yeah. right? And it's fun to have a large overarching story like that, but that isn't necessary right? if you don't want it to be. You can tell a perfectly good D&D campaign using small three to four level arcs where once you resolve it, that, that portion is done. That The Death Knight is defeated and you move on and you face a different thing. Yeah. Like, it, rather than the overarching story of like Battlestar Galactica, you have like Buffy the Vampire Slayer. This is this season's enemy. Sure. No, absolutely. It doesn't, I, I think that in our heads is all this concept of we're going to take the ring to Mordor, right? Yeah. Uh, very early on in the Lord of the Rings, it's established that like we're trying to get from the Shire to Mordor or something. We're trying to, we're trying to handle this ring situation. Yeah. We have a single monolithic 
conflict that needs resolving. Right. And that is the thrust of this whole game. Right. But I, I do think that that's often a disservice. It's kind of more interesting when the players get to live in the world of great accomplishments through sort of, the, as you mentioned, these these sub-accomplishments that they've had, these sub-victories uh, along the way where they're the slayers of this and the saviors of this and the, you know, the defeaters of this or whatever, you know, like they can sort of build these titles through the different adventures they went on. And they didn't all need to have some secret evil behind the scenes pulling yeah. the strings it, it wasn't it wasn't the single long arduous labor of hercules it was the 12 labors of hercules right he did a bunch of different things that all, all added to his legend yeah yeah exactly and and so when i think about the the nature of this like railroad versus sandbox i think that it it often gets discussed in these terms when both of those terms are wrong and don't actually feel like they carry the normative meaning they should. Like, I think most people hear railroading and they think bad. Railroading is bad when it's either a DM putting railroad, putting a, a sort of set track for the, the party to go down when they want to do more proactive exploratory things, or... Uh, more specifically, and I think this is this is the source of a lot of concern, is when the DM puts the story that they have imagined in their head ahead of player agency in that story. Yes. The reality is that whatever story you come up with is not going to be as good as the story that you and your players come up with together. Yep. Totally agreed with that. That's the bad, that's the dark side of railroading, right? And I've played under those GMs before. Where it's like, look, man, do I need to be here at this table? Because if all I'm doing is sitting here and then rolling dice when you tell me to, all right, and and then you continue with your story, then, yeah, we really are on a roller coaster ride, and this is the least interesting thing I could ever do, right? Um, it reminds me of the Star Wars uh, The Old Republic MMO, where you had these, like, fake moral choices you could make, right? Yeah. And I had a, a soldier that was, like, whatever they were called, like, whatever the trooper was. Trooper, I think. It was just, like, comically evil, you know? The I would war, always pick... The war criminal. The war criminal, yes. I would always pick the most evil, awful choice. Whatever it was. Whatever was the most dark choice, right? And there was a moment in the game where you're on this planet, and... There's some kind of 50 billion super credit or 50 billion space dollar weapon, some planet ending nuclear bomb type of weapon, right? And when you eventually recover it, you can sort of like choose what you want to do with it. You can just like sell it to terrorists effectively, right? Or return it back to the safe hands of the Republic so it can be destroyed. Yeah. Like one of these options is just like comically bad. Right. So, of course, I picked the comically bad one and just sold it to terrorists, right? And I go back to report to my superior officer. And they're like, how could you do this? This is terrible. You've given a weapon that could just destroy one of our planets to a bunch of terrorists. The the, the real world consequences of you this. You will be court-martialed for right. this. Right. <laughs> court-martialed and executed. Like, you will be put up for treason. Right? Like, you have committed a, a very serious infraction. Okay? Wherein millions of lives are now in jeopardy because of your dumb decision, right? But 
because I'm just experiencing the story, I get dressed down by my senior officer who then immediately has to continue the story. I can't be like drummed out of the military. The only story they have is the one where I'm a trooper from level one to level 50. So then he's like, I'm so angry. And then like I hit whatever, I don't care. And his next response is, well, anyway, your next mission is to go. And I'm just like, cool. You know, just like we're and we're clear. Right. If you're playing a game where ostensibly players are supposed to have the ability to respond. Yeah. Railroading and and putting the, the needs of your imagined story ahead of player decisions is bad. Yes. Don't do it. That is bad railroading. I think the thing to say here, like my summary statement on this particular little portion would be your story, the one that you brought as the GM, despite how hard you worked on it, is the least interesting story you have to tell. Yeah. Right? And that's hard for some people to wrap their heads around because they think of themselves as like these grandiose authors, like you're like you're freaking Brandon Sanderson at the table or something, you know, crafting this incredible novel. And it's like, no... No, this you're is, not. This A, you're not. B, this isn't a novel. We're not trying right. to write a novel. Yeah, the medium is the message. Yeah. And the story that you, with your players, as you said, tell together because of the flukes of dice, because of the choices they make, you thought they were going to be the great heroes and saviors of the lands, but then they did some real dumb stuff and got themselves exiled from that land okay, well, then it's time for a new story or a new take on it or a new angle or, or you know, consequences that make their agency show value. Always go in the direction of player decisions. Yeah, yeah. But at the beginning, you might not know that, right? Because we're talking about campaign prep here. Yeah. Okay? So I think your point about knowing your players is the most important thing because the sandbox is ultimately what the campaign, when it's done well, will become. Right. So then the question becomes for campaign prep, how much do you just literally throw them into a box of sand with some shovels and pails and go go nuts, go nuts. Right. Because sometimes there's a dark side to that, too, which is people pee in the sandbox. Yeah. Right. I, I think that you have to know whether or not your players are capable of working together, whether they're energized enough, interested enough, dialed in enough to sort of write that whole story to create a whole new part of background to to insert their lore into the world without making them the most the the savior the most important part of it right or or whatever yeah Yeah, i think that uh, if you if you have a a group where you don't have a good uh, table dynamic yet you might not be comfortable entirely with the people at the table and, and you're you're in that sort of feeling out period Things are just getting started. You're getting to know each other as as friends and, and players at a, at a table. Starting a campaign with more more tight considerations, a more of a railroad beginning, yeah, to help set expectations. Having a session zero, uh, go watch that episode. Yeah, uh, that uh, to help establish what the what the overall thrust of the game is going to look like. Get people on the same page starting off, and then having a short sort of introduction to this campaign, this world that you're adventuring in. And then once that's done, and once you've got people sort of gelled and working together, then opening up uh, the world more widely, uh, bringing out the shovels and pails and say, hey, this is the world around you. 
go nuts. Uh, I think that is a, a, a good way to begin. But once you get a, a certain amount of uh, comfort level with the people you're playing with, you may not need to do that so much depending on the party dynamic. Yeah, I think the actionable advice here, if I was you, would be one, you know, sort of know your players, talk to them, just, just literally have the conversation. What are they interested in doing? What is there as a table desire? Do they want to just, no, it's cool. You've got uh, Rhyme of the Frost Maiden or what, what's that? I keep seeing this thing on Facebook for what's it called? Like Curse of the Oathbreaker or something. It's like the largest D&D adventure ever made. It was like 913 pages or some, something Wolf. like that. Yeah, that's a lot. That's real big. But anyways, like you've got that thing. Yeah. We're going to tell us the sort of guardrails for us to make characters. We're allowed to be these things and we should be from this place and this type of thing. Whatever. We'll make characters and, and we're here. We want to experience this, right? And then in little ways, they will express their agency and you need to let that impact the world and change the story slightly. But for the most part, yeah, they want to go on the ride. Yeah. If everybody's signing on, like, particularly for a, for a printed adventure, everybody knows what the thrust of the game is going to be and that's what they're signing on for. That is certainly one of the more railroad-heavy options. If we all sign on to do Storm King's Thunder, yep. we know that there's going to be a lot of giant stuff going on, and that that's going to be the thrust of the game, is, is the, the War of the Giants. Yeah. If you're telling your own story, if, you, if you've written your own narrative, how do you prep for that? And, and my advice would be, if, if you, regardless of whether you're going for a sandbox or a railroad approach, come up with the come up with the conflict that needs to be resolved for your campaign to be done and do not write a solution for how that it, how that happens yeah the method i like to use especially for newer groups or groups that don't want to like just do all of the heavy lifting themselves which by the way is most groups and there's nothing wrong with that i'm oh. not we, we, we i want to be super clear that we are not making judgments here like all of this is the correct way to play rpgs yeah the the real litmus test on whether or not you're playing D right is is everybody at the table having fun? Yeah. If that is true, then you are doing it right. Congratulations. You're a winner. So here's do you want to? So here's my this is my sort of way that I structure it and tend to write campaigns. Okay. And it's the same thing I use actually in product management in my daily life uh, when I plan out like roadmaps into the future. Because planning a product's roadmap two three years into the future is actually has a lot of similarities to writing a campaign. Uh, where because there's lots of people involved, lots of different groups, lots of different sort of stakeholders, they're going to have a say on what goes on, and you have to be responsive to those various parties, right? So I use what's called the ice water or ice slush water method, okay? And think about literally what those things are, the physical state they're in the world. Ice is very solid. It is like it's solid. It has a crystalline molecular structure, right? You, ice is a, a, a solid thing. Slush is slush. You can kick it around, it moves, it's, it's solid-ish, right? But it's slushy, it can move around still a lot. You can reshape it, you can make a little slushy snowman out of it, right? You can put some flavor in it and have a little, little icy. Water is just water, it's just a liquid. It's very unformed, it changes to the shape of whatever thing you put it in. How do we translate that to the game? When I write a campaign, the first couple of levels or actions or adventures are ice. I write those down, like we have a session zero, I talk to the players and see what they're interested in. But for the most part, and I, you know, I'll make some changes here or there, but for the most part, it's ice, it's solid, it's formed. They're going to be, this. their introduction to the world will be more or less on some more strict rails, right? 
And that's the first couple adventures. Literally, this is, if you're starting at low levels, this is the first couple levels. That's nice. Slush is I then have some bullet points of things that where the, the storyline could progress for additional adventures they might go on or explore, right? And I have those semi-fleshed out. Like I'll have, then they go to this town because there's this problem going on. This is the major NPC that they'll interact with. This is the personal mystery of this particular player we'll touch on here, right? Like they'll they'll meet this NPC from their past here. And this will be kind of the bad guy in charge or whatever, right? General, like I'm talking bullet points on a page, literally as much as I just said. And I'll do those, bing, 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 a couple of those, right, for the yeah. next adventures. And so as we then play through the game, as we make our way through the ice, then the slush will start to harden. I am Mr. Freeze, right? Uh, as I get, as, as we, the players, and I as the GM, approach that content, we sap the heat out of it and, and lower that, that, that molecular activity that's causing it to, like, bounce around and change, narrow, lessen right, as it becomes more solidified, as to it's obvious what the players are going to do. Because they're making choices throughout that that are sort of setting those things down and allowing me to solidify plans. Yeah, the player actions are gradually narrowing the focus yep. of what they're paying attention to. Yep, exactly. And then beyond that is water, right? Water is like the high-level game, the ultimate bad guys that are behind this thing, final high-level stuff the end adventures or missions they will go on or do, you know, whatever the ultimate superstructure is for the thing, whether it is a single arc, as we discussed, or whether it's many, many arcs, right? That's all water. That's just, like, literally some bullet point brainstorming on a piece of paper. Like, this is the lich. He's part of this group. He's behind this thing, right? Boom. Okay. Specifics to be determined later. Yeah. Uh, one more thing that I will do uh, in terms of of preparing for a game rather than writing specific adventure material like this is where the players are going to go this is what they're going to do here are the results rather than attempt this impossibility of accounting for all player actions i will instead write down a short list of theme keywords yeah themes that i want to hit narrative goals for the stories and try to take the situations that are happening around the players and bend them toward those themes. Yep. If you have a story that's that's lighthearted and comedic and that is the goal of the story, then a lot of times a lot of encounters you you can you can change details about even a random encounter that you roll in a, in a table and and add that sort of flavor to it and push the narrative forward better than just rolling a random encounter, rolling some dice, and moving on. Yeah. You know, I think the one thing people often underinvest in at the, during campaign prep is they focus too much on the plot and the story, which in the end are the least interesting things about the, the thing you're actually engaging in. I'm going to say a word to you right now. That word is Reggie. Ooh, okay. My boy. Yes. Reggie is this... He, he is effectively a in the current sort of... Uh, intermittent campaign we're playing in advance of a marathon game he is a little modern but we're playing in ebron so in his world in this world he's a, a warforged but he's a re reject warforged right because he looks like a modern and so everybody glitchling yes ever never <laughs> i will die uh i will die on this hill so to the party he is reggie which is short for reject obviously and he's like the janitor at the place where they normally are 
And Reggie's a happy little guy, and he interacts with them. And, you know, the party's had, like, two interactions with him. One, two interactions with him. And the, you know, the players were like, if anything happens to Reggie, we will kill everyone in this place. We right? riot. We riot. NPCs, I think, are what you should actually spend more of your time developing at the beginning. And those are just compelling and interesting peoples that you can then sprinkle throughout the world as the PCs need to encounter people. Because when they meet those NPCs, when they feel like there are other beings that are living fully realized lives in the world they're inhabiting, that makes the world feel more real. Yeah, and the the fun thing about NPCs that the, the party's only interacting with intermittently is that, that they are on railroads. You decide what's happening to them when they're not on screen. Right, right. You do, do have control over them, and you can use that control behind the scenes to help influence party reaction. Exactly. Those you have complete control over, and the way you write them... You can use them whether you're doing a railroad style game or a sandbox style game. If it's a if, if if what your players are there for is for some, you know, very railroad experience, again, which is fine if they're there for the roller coaster. If you're playing some printed adventure, it's gonna have NPCs. Read all of those NPCs, figure out what's on about them, figure out how you want to spice them up or make them more interesting or, or appeal to the party in some way. Maybe they have shared interests or you swap the species on one or something like that. Like, who knows, or the background of one of the NPCs. A little romance. Sure, absolutely. Maybe you, you draw on the PCs and their own NPCs from their background and insert those into the story and make those major players. Maybe you just write them up and then know at this point they're going to meet this person. In a sandbox, you're just, you're just keeping this in your back pocket, right? This is your little deck of cool people that you can just draw a card from whenever you need to. They roll into a new town. You know, they're doing something. You don't, you know, you, you need to have them get hooked in right away. Boom, you introduce the cool NPC you've got developed in your back pocket. They meet them. They like them. They're in for this person. Like, People will get very attached yeah. to NPCs. And, and coming up with this this little short list of, of names and characters that you can deploy, uh, sort of regardless of the situation, gives you a good a good response when the party does something like, oh, this shopkeeper. What's the shopkeeper's name? I want to get to know this person specifically. Yep. Because that will happen. Players at the table will find someone that, that you may not be directly prepared for and want more information on them. They, they want a name. They want a personality. They want hopes and dreams. Yep. So rather than having a shopkeeper written up, like this is who this guy is, just have like five or six characters written up and bam, now Glimglum is a shopkeep. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that when you when you write those things you don't need to be concerned about making them up as quote-unquote characters, PCs, stat-likes. None of that is what we're talking about here. No, we're, we're talking about a name, desires and motivations, what 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 makes them an interactable, interesting person. Yeah, their personality, the, the types of things they say, the types of things they're interested in, right, the types of things they love and hate. Like, that's what makes people compelling when you meet them, right? So have that stuff prepared. And it could be as easy as a sentence for each of those. Yeah. This does not have to be a lengthy exercise, right? You could sit down for an hour and crank through 
you know, a dozen interesting NPCs that you've now got, boom, ready to go anytime you want. And if you have trouble with that sort of NPC creation, use random tables. Yeah. Uh, like, it, what what I find helpful if I'm, I'm in a creative rut is a lot of, over a number of editions of D&D and, and other role-playing games is they'll have random tables for character generation of what was your background? Uh, how many siblings did you have? Uh, what was your upbringing like? Yep. Uh, what are some... Uh, like in fifth edition backgrounds, what are your ideals? What are your motivations? Yep. What are quirks about you? You can use those for NPCs too. So I think when it comes to campaign prep, my advice would be like to summarize all of this because you should draw this to a close. My advice is one, do the appropriate amount for your group. And the only way you're going to know that is by having a conversation with them. If they're open and want to tell a more fluid changing story where they react to the world, that means they might be open to a sandbox, but that also means you may have to, like, you can't write every detail of the world, so they have to pick up some of that lifting. Have them define some of the areas of the world, wherever their 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 person is from. Have them write up and design and give you details on that area, right? Yeah, and, and take the thrust of the campaign, the themes and, and overall narrative, and spread it out over this area mm-hmm. that the players are adventuring in so that they have points of discovery that lead them toward where you want to go in a sandbox environment. Yep. And then if they want to be, if they're more interested in just going on the ride, which again is fine, then that doesn't mean you still can't make it your own and let their decisions matter, right? Uh, Their decisions can still have consequences in the world. And you can still infuse life and things into that experience, even if you're using a fully printed adventure, just running it page for page, by creating your own new NPCs or reflavoring the NPCs that are already there to be more unique, interesting, cool to the party, sharing common interests with them, that kind of thing. To focus in on the theme that you want for the campaign and the, the thematic elements of individual characters at the table. Yep, absolutely. All right, so there you go. That's campaign prep, uh, railroad versus sandbox, and other sorts of discussions. Hope this was helpful. Uh, hey, tell you what, if you liked it, go ahead and rate it, review it uh, on whatever podcast app you're listening on. Uh, make sure you, you do that. Uh, thank you very much for everybody who's left reviews. They are wonderful. Uh, if you're interested in checking out more or asking us a question, don't forget there is an email down below. You can also find me over on YouTube under Vincent Venturella, uh, where I talk about Warhammer and miniature painting and all sorts of things like that. But as always, we thank you very much for listening. And we'll see you next time. Peace. Peace.